it's probably been a very big learning year, forcing you to look at the business differently and forcing you to think outside the square, which I think hospitality people do really well when, the, when they've got their backs against the wall. I think, uh, I think that's something that can be said about the Melbourne hospitality. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Victorians have been extraordinary in their ability to live through extended lockdowns and nullify cases of COVID. As the industry starts to open up, people are taking the chance to eat in restaurants once again, albeit with the restrictions. With a workforce still, for the most part, working from home, what impact is it having on the inner city restaurants, even though they can open for business? Tony Twitchett, is the general manager and executive chef of Taxi Kitchen and Transit Bar. Tony, how are you going? Yeah, not too bad, Huck, you? I'm good, thanks for joining us. You've um, just had a short period of time of being able to open the doors again. What's it like at the moment in Melbourne? Well, I mean, it's um, it's kind of a, kind of mixed feelings, I suppose. You've got a lot of people that are really up and about that um, restaurants have opened and then there's other, some other people who are still a little bit cautious to come into the city but um for the industry itself it's probably it's great i mean we've got some hope to be able to get back to normal trade with the restrictions by christmas but um yeah so it's mixed feelings but i mean the people that have been coming out and sort of braving the uh you know the restrictions of they're really really um positive and we're getting great um responses from people coming through the restaurant and giving us high fives for being opened or imaginary high fives because we can't touch. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in a, a beautiful building there in a really central location right in the heart of the city. What's it like having a, a spot there at the moment? And There's usually just thousands of people around that area. What's, what's it feel like there right now? Well, yeah, it's, I mean, the, the, the foot traffic is way down. Like, uh, obviously, the CBD with all the... Um, industries and the offices not being utilised, the numbers are right down. And it's like even through lockdown number one and lockdown number two, it was quite eerie coming in here and checking on the building and, you know, doing the bits and bobs that we're doing. Because it was, yeah, it was not the CBD that we know of where you've got hundreds of thousands of people walking around for lunch, uh, breakfast and dinner. But, yeah, it's starting to come back. You see the people on the weekends and coming out and... um, that's exciting, but yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling. You mentioned uh, the bits and bobs that you were doing uh, during the time of lockdown to keep money coming in. Can you tell us about what that, what they were? Well, yeah, in the first lockdown, we actually just shut down everything and um, sort of froze the business in time and waited for it to pass, and which was fine. And we reopened in June and we operated for five weeks, and then with the second lockdown. We decided as a business that we had to try and create some, you know, some revenue streams. Um, and I spoke to some close friends over at Coda, like Kate and Michael, because they did a really good job of getting into the grocery stores. So I took a leaf out of their book and basically created, you know, all of Taxi's famous dishes, you know, the candy pork, the Szechuan duck, you know, the shiso lamb shoulder, and put them all into a beautiful package, uh, grocery uh, labelled and, yeah, and... Within within pretty much ten days, we had it into two had it into the Gumtree Grocery, which is three suburbs, so South Yarra, Middle Park, and Albert Park, 
and that was with some great help with um, the owner there, David. He really sort of helped, you know, with the packaging and the labelling and, you know, just guided me through it. And so there, that, that was really good. So then we're up to 11 grocery stores now, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So it's been really good. And that, that helped me bring, you know, a small team of the chefs back into the kitchen, which was great for them. It was good to see them all get back together and, you know, just have that sort of, I don't know, that social part of working together in, in a kitchen and checking in on everyone and making sure that everyone's okay. So that was good. You mentioned that you used some of your signature dishes. What was it like trying to create them for pack to be put in packaging and sold in a supermarket? <laughs> was there challenges in changing the dishes? Yeah, you do have to change the dishes and tweak it slightly because, yeah, basically, you know, you're trying to think about the customer taking it off the shelf, taking it home. Okay, how are they going to heat it? Are they just going to boil the bag and then open it up? And that's pretty much, yes, that's what we tried to achieve. So what we're doing is putting a finished product into a cryvac bag that would have cooking instructions of boiling a pot of water and just submerge this bag in the, in the pot of water for 8 to 12 minutes, open the bag and slide it onto a serving tray. And um, it took a lot of experimenting and, you know, but we just had to do it. It was just like we, we, had, we had no choice to try and do something. So we did. We've tweaked a few other things, but, you know, with all the testing that we did, you know, especially with um, people that sort of knew our products, we tested it with them. And, yeah, we sort of we were pretty happy with what we got to. And even the feedback that we got from the, the grocery store uh, owners, they, they love it as well. So it's good. So, yeah, through a few suburbs and we'll hopefully we'll get down to Mornington Peninsula for the, for the summer break because I think down there a few grocery stores would be great because a lot of the Melbourne people migrate down that way. But, yeah, so it was a lot of experimenting in a short amount of time because we, we had to get stuff onto shelves very quickly because we didn't know how long the second lockdown was going to be for. Did that experience of creating those dishes to sell in that way, has that changed the way that you... Uh, think about cooking dishes in the restaurant? Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, we went from uh, let's try and put six of the taxi signature dishes into grocery stores and now my wholesale grocery list is 19 items. You know, so we've got a, a taxi kitchen, special fried rice, <laughs> you know, pumpkin curry, you know, Humpty Doo barramundi curry. <laughs> and the list went on because obviously uh, the, the grocery stores were like, oh, yeah, we need a few more items. You know, people are loving it. You know, they're buying, you know, taxi kitchen restaurant meals, can you can you give us some more dishes? So then, yeah, we just went down that path, which has been fantastic. And and the best thing about it, even with everything reopening, the grocery stores are still selling. Like, they're still buying off us every week, still supporting us in that way and um, really positively, you know, selling more and more each week, which is just fantastic. Because I actually thought when we got to reopen the restaurants it was going to drop, but it hasn't, so... Do you see this as part of the future of taxi? 100%, yeah. I think that that is uh, one thing to have a restaurant shut and suddenly go, wow, there's no line of, there's no revenue, no customers, no revenue. It's like we need to sort of really think outside the square as chefs and restaurateurs. Like, you know, we just can't uh, rely on customers coming through our front door every day to be able to put money in the till. So I think 
getting the grocery line is something that we're going to keep 100% for as long as we can. Um, you know, getting onto the Providor website, um, that was another line. So we had the restaurant restaurant ready meals delivered to your door, which was great. And that's a beautiful little community there with, I think it's up to about 41 restaurants around Melbourne. Wow, so, that's amazing. Yeah, so that, that's that's been really fantastic, you know, and that there, I mean, we found that was a very different experience as well because then you're basically creating little degustations and banquets and putting them all into one box and you've got, you know, six to seven different uh, menu items that you're um, sending to people's homes and saying, here you go, here's the instructions, this is what you need to do and you're going to have a taxi experience at home. <laughs> So, you know, that, that thinking out of the square, I mean, that's just, you know, that's just opened up doors for everyone, I think, to be able to try and get your restaurant meals and your, your restaurant experience to people's homes. So, you know, with our little Providor package, we send our taxi playlist. So a little QR code, people scan, put on their Spotify. So you can, wow. yeah, start the night off with some nice tunes from taxi and then have your eight-course tasting menu in the comfort of your own home. So we got good response from that as well. You do have the doors open now. What was the lead-up, though, once you found out the date that restaurants could open again? What, what did that period of time feel like trying to get the team and the systems back in order? Oh, it's still still trying to get it back in order now. I mean, the day, the Monday, 3.30, when it was announced that we could open up on Wednesday of the, of the same week, the phones just went into meltdown and it was just like, right, we need to quickly regroup here. Unfortunately, we had a lot of construction within the building just doing some housekeeping because we knew the lockdown was coming to an end so we were trying just to get a bit of maintenance done with inside the kitchens. So we couldn't, until the construction was finished with and out by the Friday, we couldn't open until the Saturday, which in hindsight was probably a little bit of a um, saving grace for us because, I mean... There's no way we would have been ready to open up within two days of the announcement. So we got to work around the construction site. We got to get orders in, you know, struggling to get food and booze at a drop of a hat at the same time as everyone else in Melbourne became quite difficult. So, you know, deliveries were always, you know, this item's missing, this item's on back order. But um, the team was great. The team rallied around. They all came in up and about, you know, been in lockdown for so long people a lot of our staff thrive on that you know customer base and that customer relationship that they all have so they all came in and they like absolute machine all came back into place all got back in their positions and we opened up the ground floor being the public bar and the rooftop first which was fantastic and we had that uh, the classic Melbourne Melbourne Cup long weekend here in Melbourne and those first four days was just amazing. Obviously under the restrictions we had limited amount of people in the building but with all the team trained up on the COVID plan and basically having a front door reception, it, it worked really well. So people were making bookings for all three levels and away we went. So yeah, logistically it was quite... Everything was really new. All the systems were new. The way we had to check people in was new. But the customers were, you know, so reset, like so um, good at, you know, just waiting for us to catch up with ourselves, really, I suppose you'd say that, um, to get our systems in place and for us to get it to a point where, like now, two and a half weeks in, it's like we've been doing this all year. <laughs> 
what sort of uh, vision of taxi kitchen are we seeing at the moment with the, you've got quite heavy restrictions still. Yep. What, what, can you paint a picture of sort of what you're offering compared to what was happening before the well, pandemic? Well, it's a shorter menu, obviously. Um, we're just sort of basic because the numbers that we can get through uh, quite low, like normally we can, Friday, Saturday night, we could do 180 covers to 200 covers. Um, and with the numbers, we can pretty much only do you know, 80, 80 people over two sittings. So we're very restricted in the numbers we can do per night. Um, we're really lucky because it's a beautiful, very large restaurant. So with the spacing between tables, it's really good. Um, so with that, you know, people, people can really spread out and enjoy the evening. Um, but yeah, it's... It's a completely different ball game at the moment. Until the until the numbers and the amount of people we can get back in, we're just going to be sort of treading carefully on what we can do. Can you tell us a bit about Taxi? It, um, you've been there for quite a long time, and I think many moons ago, before I had grey hair and just I was about twenty kilos lighter, I did a photo shoot with Michael Lambie, and I believe that you were one of the chefs there still at that time. It was a long time ago. Um, can you take us back to that time and? Um, the evolution of, of Taxi? Yeah, I mean, I was working with Michael at Circa in uh, 2004 and then he got the gig here at um, Taxi Dining Room and he asked me to come over and sort of help run his kitchen as head chef. You know, Kinzan was here as the head chef running the sushi bar but then so I so slipped into the kitchen and basically from 2004 up to, you know, when Michael left at the end of 2000, um, 2010, I believe it was. Yeah, it was just a, a great operation. It was taxi dining room, fine dining. We, we won restaurant of the year in the first year, two hats. And it just the place was booked out for lunch and dinner for five years solid. It was, it was an extraordinary time. And we had some amazing people come through and work in this building, front of house and back of house. Um, and, yeah, it was... Uh, High-level, Japanese-inspired, you know, food that had in the kitchen was, you know, European techniques with Asian influence and we, we relied heavily on, you know, Kinsan with his Japanese direction and I had been working for a guy called Rob Cunningham and Ezard, so I had, you know, some knowledge in, the, in Southeast Asia cuisine. So we just took it and just ran with it and people loved it. People love the dining room. People love the long lunches. You know, people have Joe Morawazi plates or, you know, nine-course tasty menus. But it was really just – it was kind of new at the time, this sort of sort of what we're offering. And people just lapped it up, which was fantastic. Um, then obviously it just sort of probably, you know, after 2010, 2011 – we, we found that the business wasn't growing, it was just plateauing. And we could have let it go for ages because people still loved the format. But then we decided to, at the end of 2013, we're like, we should try and change it. So we did. We went from taxi dining room to taxi kitchen. We sort of basically tried to become a little bit more rustic, a little bit more playful. We tried to, well, we didn't try, we did. We lowered the price point on all the menus and also on the wine list. And we sort of opened up our demographic to ha have a younger younger crowd to come through. And that's where the numbers were going from 140 up to 200 per night. And, um, yeah, and we found that opening up to a larger demographic that we had 
you know, we tapped into a whole new market of people and it was really well received. So we've been running Taxi Kitchen in its skin currently since 2014 where, you know, it seems to be a little bit more high energy up and about and, um, and just a higher turnover. Well, it is a thriving hub in that sort of heart of the CBD where you are, and um, and Transit Bar particularly is you know really um, boisterous and um, energetic sort of space to be in, and gets lots of foot traffic past it. What what how are you feeling about the whole operation given um, restrictions and numbers in spaces and the sort of offering that you do have there? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a huge format business. I mean, we're license for nearly a thousand people so with the restrictions yeah with the restrictions it's really really limited in what we can actually achieve but i think with what we've done with our booking system and allowing people to our bookings we're trying to generate as much as we can for the business but then also for the customers that want to come out and enjoy some time in a either public bar or on a rooftop or in a restaurant so I think we're adapting quite well to be able to try and, you know, help people come back out and enjoy hospitality, but then also help the business dig itself out of, you know, six months of being closed. So it's going to be very different. I was, um, I'm actually pleasantly surprised about how many people have been coming back into the CBD. I was a bit worried that the CBD of Melbourne was going to be a slow burner, just with um, with people being wary of traveling in but we found that there's a lot of people came in through the weekend and I know it was Melbourne Cup weekend so a lot of people had the time but even the weekend just passed we still had Friday Saturday and Sunday some just really good weekend trades where people were out and about and coming in meeting up with friends and staying for two hours and then moving on or coming in late at night and staying for a bit longer but I think I think Melbourne people are just resilient and people Melbourne people just love hospitality I suppose they love bars restaurants and they love being out so for people to be sort of out and about that much on the weekend I think we with the CBD reopening offices that's where we'll probably start seeing our numbers come back but I mean with the restrictions that we've got we still will be limited for a long time what's the sentiment of most of the people coming in are they are they nervous about a third lockdown or are people a bit more relaxed and just happy to enjoy the moment? No, I think people are just happy to enjoy the moment. Um, I think you just see in their faces and just when they're catching up with friends or they've, they've had this organised function or they've organised a little group to get together, they've all been uh, waiting for it. And I think everyone is, everyone is so adhered to the rules, which is amazing. As an operator... We create these COVID safe plans that, you know, everyone must be wearing a mask when you're moving around, you know, we need to sanitise every table. The, the customers are making it so easy for us to be able to implement all these rules because they probably are conscious that they don't want a third lockdown. So I think with everyone as a community, everyone's actually been so good at, yep, no worries, wash that table down, sanitise that table, that's fantastic. Yes, no worries, I wear my mask when I go to the bathroom. So... People, people, it's become part of their life now that if we don't want a third lockdown, everyone's going to do what they need to do. And if, if every business has the right practices, like people, people just, they want the rules to be quite obvious and people will follow them. 
because I think people just love being out and about, especially in Melbourne. You've had an amazing influence on Melbourne's dining scene for quite a few years now, and you briefly mentioned Ezard and Circa as well. But how did you get a start in the industry? <laughs> Through my brothers. Um, I'm a country boy. I'm the youngest of four boys, and our family, we, were, we basically started up in a little town called Kaganya, which is up in the northeast Victoria, up near uh, Mount Beauty in the Kiwa Valley. And that's where mum and dad decided to start their family. And we're all born on like uh, Pops Farm, which is a dairy farm. And then from there, we moved down to Yaroa, where I you know, did primary school in Yaroa. And then from there, we moved to Shepparton, where I did high school in Shepparton. But I think I was 17 when I moved from Shepparton to Melbourne. And um, my first job was working with my two older brothers in a, in a little restaurant in Burke Street Mall called Luciano's. So I was working there. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was working there, and I was meant to be going to uni to learn how to do software development and become an IT guru. And I ended up working more than going to uni. And then my older brother said, "Why don't you just become a chef? Like you love cooking." I said, "Oh well, I do actually, because our family is very fam- like food orientated, meal orientated. So we'll always get together, you know, just with I was up at the farm or down here in Melbourne and." And uh, everything was always celebrated around a meal. So my little brother said, you should try and get an apprenticeship at Stoke House. And so within the first year of moving to Melbourne, I went down for an interview and got a job at the Stoke House. And wow. Yeah, that was my um, introduction to cooking was Stoke House in, in the 90, 1996. Yeah, so that's where I first met Michael Lambie. And that's where I did a four, four summers there. And then uh, when, I left, when I left Stoke House, I ended up working with a guy called uh, Rob Cunningham and then um, Teague Ezard. And then after Teague, I actually ended up back at Circa with Michael. So, yeah, that's how I got into the Van Handel group and that's where I sort of bedded in my apprenticeship. It was a bit of a birth of fire, we, you know, a young country boy coming to the city and that's the first kitchen you meet where it's full of French and English chefs all from Michelin star backgrounds and <laughs> one of the busiest restaurants, lunch and dinner. So, yeah, I learnt a lot and I learnt very quickly. How different are those days to these days in kitchens? Oh, polar difference, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, in those days, you know, pots and pans got thrown, a ki- thrown across the kitchen. Yeah, there was a lot of, uh, lot of um, chefs <laughs> yelling and screaming at each other, you know, so it's calmed down a lot. You know, I probably learned a lot of things of I learned a lot of things of not to do in the kitchen <laughs> in my apprenticeship. But uh, but it was a beautiful time. I loved it. You know, I mean, it's it still resonates really fondly with me those years at Stoke House, even though it was you know long hours and you know, just the things I learned there. It was just phenomenal. And then again, coming across the Circa as well, um, and even just the stint with T. Gezard. I mean, I think it was one of those things that I. The best advice was from my older brother was to get an apprenticeship there because obviously I was I loved cooking and I was born to do cooking and I wouldn't change it for the world. Like it's just something that's always driven me, you know, with my friends and the circle of people I hang with. It's just we always talk about food or we're always eating food or talking about other friends' restaurants. So it's definitely running through my veins. What's it been like during this time? 
managing staff and having to stand staff down and bring them back, what what sort of toll was that taken <laughs> on you as a as a leader? Oh, it's yeah, no, it's been it's yeah, it's been hard. Like uh, on the twenty third of March, sitting there and having to stand down all the staff, not knowing what 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 they could do or you know the only advice i had was to try and get them to go and get onto job seeker you know because job keeper wasn't even about so from 130 staff telling them all guys we're shutting the business you have to i'm standing you down i will keep in touch with you i need to make sure that you all get looked after i just don't know what's going to look after you at the moment but please you know give me some time to figure it out it was quite stressful and i mean from the 23rd of March up until Easter, oh, that's all I was doing was trying to figure out what we can do for the staff. So, you know, a week later we got the announcement from the federal government that JobKeeper was going to come about. But then you know you're up until midnight or two o'clock in the morning on that Monday of the announcement, trying to find all the documentation that's on on you know the Treasury website to be able to figure out what this means and for which staff it means <laughs> stuff for and. So it kind of those first four weeks, or it might have been five weeks, was just just such a stress of not just my own family, but just all the people. Because I mean, I've always been all my restaurants that I've worked for in in any business. It's like all the staff in my family. I know I know their boyfriends and girlfriends. I know you know their children. It's like it's just been one of those things that you know I've always known everyone through and through. So to have to stand everyone down with no real look into the future of what it was going to be like was absolutely terrible. So that was quite hard. You mentioned uh, there was about 130 employees. What's the state of the situation at the moment? How many do you have on the books? Uh, So at the moment, 42. So basically, yeah, with the JobKeeper, we'll be able to – we got, I think, about 38 people, 38 staff members and – which was amazing to be able to get that many. But, I mean, we had a lot of casual staff that had just started for the summer that missed out. But, you know, with that reopen that we had, we were able to do it with that and with that small team. And then right now, for the last week and a half, that's all I've been trying to do is recruit because, obviously, with the restrictions, it's okay. With the limited numbers, it's okay. With the amount of people I've got, but it's going to get stretched very quickly. So really, uh, it's one a very hard thing to do to advertise for, um, you know, waiters, bartenders, supervisors, and to be only only get eight emails to come through. It's like the Melbourne hospitality industry is all doing the same thing at the same time. So if anyone's looking for a hospitality job, come to Melbourne <laughs> because you 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 have the pick of your restaurant, I believe. Many people on the series have talked to talk about um, this time and how much it's changed them. How have you felt? Has there been a personal impact that's altered the way you feel about the industry and and your own life? Oh, mate, with the way I've... I, I honestly believe that the hospitality industry will help bring the community back together. I think it's... The hospitality is so strong and has been for me for the last 23 years that there's nothing you can throw... Like, just the people that are in hospitality so resilient and so strong and what we offer to the rest of the community is just that that 
that one night a week relief or that one night a week where they forget about their problems or you know that you know they come in and get wined and dined or they you know they go to the pub for an hour and they forget their own life like hospitality is the industry that helps everyone forget or get over tragedy or you know move past things that like pandemics or you know or like a recession or like a bushfire like i think hospitality to me is just going to get stronger and it's going to be up to hospitality to try and bring back that normal part of everyone's life where you know people just they go out for that experience they go out to you know forget about their work life or forget about you know their problems and they have an experience that we put on a show for them and that's what everyone's striving I mean that's what I've sort of been getting in the last two and a half weeks with opening the doors people just want to come in and forget about everything and they just want to have a good time and that's what we do as an industry and I think that that's what everyone needs right now and that's what we're going to do for everyone and we'll find that the hospitality industry will just do what it does and roll up the sleeves and give around a good time and love doing it. I mean, I've, I've probably fell more in love with hospitality again and for the staff that are in here for those hospitality career people that just love it through and through as well. I think, yeah, I think it's going to be stronger. People are going to appreciate it more because without it for the last, oh, how long in Melbourne, like the last 10 weeks in Melbourne, it's just been non-existent. People just thrive. They need it. So, yeah, no, I love, yeah, I think it's just going to be stronger. Stronger, better. It's just have to, we have to get through the restrictions. We just have to get a vaccine. And then we just have to make sure we look after each other. Things are warming up and it looks like restrictions will ease again soon. What are your hopes for the summer for Melbourne? Oh, it would be a dream if we went back to COVID normal with as much freedom as we had before the first lockdown. That would be a dream come true. I don't think we're going to get to that. It doesn't seem like it's on the agenda for the state or the Melbourne Metro to get that this side of Christmas. But we get to go to the next stage on Monday, which is fantastic. We have 100 people inside, 200 outside. Um, I mean, that's still very limiting for this business because obviously the size of it but we'll do what we can do and if the numbers just keep coming out you know if we keep getting zeros every day it's just a, a positive sign to be able to try and get back to normal trade you know I'd, yeah it'd just be that would be the dream come true to be able to get every hospitality industry to open back up to as they were and for all the people to have the confidence to go out and enjoy that hospitality. With so many restaurants uh, trying different things and pivoting and even uh, taxi doing uh, meals that you can get in supermarkets, how do you see the future of the hospitality industry? Is it, is it going to be quite different to what we had before the pandemic? I think, yeah, a lot of people will. I mean, there's, there's, I've got friends that have gone taking their restaurant that was sort of medium priced and taking it to a more exclusive level where they're going to up the service and up the price and, you know, and keep their business afloat with probably doing less customers for more money. And then you've got other customers, I suppose, other people that might be thinking the other way. So I think the industry might change for individual restaurants, I think. But I do believe, oh, I mean, hopefully everyone 
hopefully every business stays open. You know, that's probably the scariest thing that I think about with the hospitality industry, how many people may have to close the doors, you know, when all these deferrals and everything that everyone's been granted to get through 2020, when all that's not there for 2021 and if we're still under the restrictions and JobKeeper disappears, that's the scary part in my mind of what's going to happen to the industry because that's where we might unfortunately see some people that are on the edge close their business and walk away from it. And I think that would be a tragedy for Melbourne if we had a lot of businesses closing. Melbourne has been through an extraordinary year and restaurants have really suffered. How, how are you going to look back at this period of time? Well, definitely not fondly. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we'll look back at this year and just and we'll actually probably see all the weaknesses our industry does have and try and make sure that we always take what we've learnt and take all those little pivots and everything that, you know, different lines of revenue and, you know, and try and maintain it and and keep it. I mean, keep those, uh, the Providor online, keep, keep the groceries stores happening, do more pop-ups, keep your business, keep your business moving around and, and, and don't just rely on opening the doors and people will come try and I think that's one of the biggest, it's probably been a very big learning year and sort of making, forcing you to look at the business differently and forcing you to think outside the square, which I think hospitality people do really well when, the, when they've got their backs against the wall. I think, uh, I think that's something that can be said about the Melbourne hospitality. Well, Tony, you've got a, hopefully you've got a fantastic summer coming up and restrictions will ease and you'll get lots of people through the door. Uh, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds to share your story. Please keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Huck. Appreciate it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.